You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Before you know it, winter will be here. This week, we're talking to a nutritionist on how to best manage your horse's needs through the cold winter months. We're also talking about dressage and how it can benefit any type of rider with trainer Amelia Newcomb. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jess Payne. And I'm L.A. Wozniko. Welcome to episode 103 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How's it going? It's going. So Jess, you're in Maryland right now, right? I am here. Yeah, we did Morven last week, and we are here at Maryland this week for the five-star and three-star, and really looking forward to it. I know. I can't wait to talk a little bit more about it a little later in the episode. Yeah, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Purina. So, Ellie, you got a drink for us this week, right? Yes, because I can drink again. I mean, I haven't gotten, like, specific (laughs) orders from the doctor to, like, go drink alcohol, but I haven't been told that I can't, so... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not a big gin fan, but this one sounds really good. It's a pomegranate gin cocktail. You're going to need one and a fourth cup pomegranate juice, one and a fourth cup fresh orange juice, 10 teaspoons of honey, 10 cups sparkling water, two and a half cups of gin. And then if you want to be fancy, you could use fresh thyme and orange slices for garnish. But you're going to put in a pitcher, add your pomegranate juice, your orange juice, your honey, your sparkling water, and your gin. Stir everything up together. Or you can put it in a cocktail shaker and be fancy. Uh, But then you're going to pour everything over ice. And then you can garnish with your fresh thyme and orange slices. And that's it. Which sounds sounds really really good. good. And refreshing. Gin's not my favorite either, but I will drink it. Um, but I feel like you could substitute the gin for something else even with this recipe. No, for oh, sure. Oh, easily. Yeah. It feels very, like, fall-ish. Yes. Yeah. And then, like, I'm a super, like, nerd when it comes to mythology. So, like, every time I think of pomegranate, I think about, like, you know, the Demeter Hades myth. Oh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, winner. Because, you know, she was the goddess of weather. But anyway, that was, wow, a little bit of my nerd was showing, eh? It was. Uh, why <laughs> don't you just awesome. roll us right into news with that, Ellie? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I have a I have a really cool story. So um, this guy's horse was, they were camping, okay? And they he heard these horses, like, run past, and this was in Utah, and... Shane Adams like gets up and his horse like runs off with Mustangs like into the Utah desert. And this was like, yeah. So this was like eight years ago. His horse was a stallion, a uh, parish quarter horse cross. And like, he was like, all right, well, I'm never going to see my horse again. So I guess like he put ads up and stuff, but I mean, after eight years, he kind of gave up hope, but like not that long ago, he returned. Um, the BLM caught him in a roundup. So when they rounded him up, they were like, this horse one is branded and two is acting very broke <laughs> for a Mustang. So they, you know, called him and got in contact with him. So the horse is 18 years old now. And, you know, he remarked that he was a couple hundred pounds lighter, but he was his normal self. 
I guess he really likes Sour Patch Kids, which uh, Berkeley does too. Um, <laughs> but they, um, you know, brought him back and, you know, they're just so happy to have him back after eight years. The horse's name is Mongo. But uh, it was, you know, just a really kind of, you know, heartstring pulling story because especially with this particular past like three years, um, you know, you've got approximately 7,100 wild horses and there's just not good ground right now for grazing. You know, a lot of horses are dying of starvation, um, which is part of the reason that the BLM does these roundups. So the fact that this horse survived, but then was also brought back to him is just really cool. And uh, the other side of it was that the Shane Adams guy actually was in like a really bad car wreck um, while his horse was missing and he had uh, traumatic brain injury. So he had to like relearn how to walk. Um, And the doctors had told him like, you know, you're probably never, you know, it's going to be a long time before you're going to get back in a saddle. And He's like now that his horse is back and he just, you know, gets on him, like hasn't been ridden for eight years. And he's just like, you know, phenomenal. And that's just really heartwarming. And I'm really glad that Mongo found his way home. Yeah. What a cool story. What do you you have? Yeah. So I have a science one, but mostly a horse care one. And it it stems to this question that I think we've all probably asked ourselves, you know, as we try to keep our horses sound and feeling good with an athletic career, uh, are frequent joint injections safe for horses? Um, it's, it's a good question. I know we injected Mikey's left, um, fetlock area when I was dealing with some lameness stuff earlier this year. And it, it, it basically was, it's a basic a question of like bringing down that inflammation, right. And trying to stave off the effects of osteoarthritis for as long as we can. And that's why we, that's why we use steroids to inject um, various joints in horses. But that, I think that question's always kind of hung out there is like too many joint injections actually counterintuitive to keeping our horses sound. And um, there's a great story on thehorse.com that explores this. Um, and, they, and the answer is kind of murky. Um, like, like most medicinal things, is there too much of a good thing here? Yes, is what, is what it sounds like. So... Uh, Basically, if you if you're injecting your horse too often, this piece, which quotes some um, various vets, suggests that eventually the the effects will will not last as long. You know, it will prevent some lameness in your horse. It will increase um, some lubrication in that area. But when you know, as the damage continues in that joint, um, even though the inflammation might subside occasionally from the injections. Basically, the pain and lameness is just going to get worse. And then those joint injections are only going to last about like have half the shelf life that they did previously. So it's good to know that there are additional treatments out there and that you should always work with your vet on, you know, determining what's a good and appropriate treatment plan for your own horse. Um, There are obviously various joint support products um, and different modalities you can do to help alleviate inflammation like after a ride. There's also, um, you know, additional vet prescribed treatments like shockwave and things like that. But there's a lot you can do to just help keep osteoarthritis at bay too, just like with managing nutrition and your horse's weight. 
and all kinds of things. So this this article is very, it's like packed with facts and really good information. So we'll for sure share it in our show notes so you guys can read it. Yeah, that's super interesting, especially now because, I mean, God, when I was growing up, you know, we did hawks for all the show horses like every year, you mm-hmm. know, whether they really needed it or not. And I think, you know, it's so great that we have things like even Adequan, right, that are limiting the amount of times that your joints actually have to be, you know, stabbed into, especially because, you know, we've talked about this with Batman, um, especially after his stifle surgery, you know, the frequency that they're trying to, you know, like they told me they want to do Adequan like twice a year instead of going into the joint twice a year, going into the joint just once a year. So it's super interesting. It is. And it sounds like vets are learning a lot, you know, like from that period of time where we used to just inject almost like a preventative measure with steroids that now we're learning um, maybe a more conservative approach is better for the long term. Right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jess. So tell us more about the five star. Um, You're at Fairhill. It sounds like everything's just really getting rolling or getting everyone settling in before the show. Everyone's. Yeah, everyone's just settling in. Um, we're here. It looks amazing. They've done such a good job, like with the grounds and everything else. It is a very different feel. I talked about it last year. It is a very kind of European feel event. And so they've got tents up everywhere for the owners, sponsors, all of this. There's tons of vendors in the trade fair. And they've done a great job this year. They've kind of listened to people last year, the grooms, um, hospitality was actually quite far from the stabling. So this year they've like put up a separate tent so the grooms can go get, they're providing like lunches and breakfast and coffee in them for them. So they've done a great job and it is, it's really coming around to be a pretty spectacular event as this is only the second year. Um, last year was the inaugural event. So we're looking forward to it. It's got the five star. There's a lot of big heavy hitters. They brought in a couple overseas people. Ollie Townen's here. Tim Price is here. Harry Meek came back over. Asir Nicholas is here. And um, just a lot of people are here to support it and have, you know, a second five-star in this country is quite amazing. So I'm excited to be part of it and have, um, we have Quantum Leap in the five-star and what they're doing is it's actually uh, USCF Network is, I'm pretty sure, the one doing the live feed. And we'll put up all that in the show notes. But you can watch the five-star all. It's mainly in the afternoons. And then I think there are some links to the three-star. I'm not sure if that's actually live streamed. But I think they're doing a lot of feed with it. So the three-star is in the mornings. And then they'll round it up with the five-star in the afternoons. Awesome. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited to watch. And I've heard, uh, we have not, the course is not open yet. This is only Tuesday for us. Um, when you guys will listen to this, it'll be Friday and I'm sure we'll have posted a lot more since then, but I've heard from, you know, some course designers and some of the builders that there are some big fences out there. And so, uh, I'm really excited to see what Ian Stark has done for the cross country this year. Absolutely. So we just want to give a shout out to everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you don't yet, but are on the fence, if you subscribe to our Patreon and donate, any little bit helps. Um, It doesn't have to be every month. It could just be a one-time donation, but that gives you access to a bunch of content that only lives on our Patreon page. 
So like after Doug was on last episode, we published a full video that he produced just for his subscribers on his new subscribers only platform online. And you can watch that whole uh, video on our Patreon page and get a snippet of that where and get his training advice, his insight into how he trains his own horses. Um, you can hear more from Ellie and what her life is like on the farm. You can hear more from me. Um, we try to post there as often as we can, and we really appreciate those uh, all of you guys who help support us. So to become a Patreon subscriber, you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Heels Down. All right, guys, so since it is October, and we all live in like sort of different climate areas, I thought it would be interesting to compare like what are your must-haves in the barn for this time of year. It could be your favorite Blankets or uh, clippers or stable supplies or cold weather riding supplies, yada, yada, yada. Like, what are the things like that you cannot survive the fall months without? Uh, Ellie, you want to go first? Well, since I have real fall. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're the only one with a real, real fall. (laughs) Yeah, like the leaves are already left. <laughs> yeah, so our leaves are already pretty much all changed. Um, there are naked trees already. Uh, I think it's been it's been 32 degrees Fahrenheit, so freezing uh, a few nights already. So that's fun. So my like go tos, obviously, are my vacuum. I know I've talked a lot about my vacuum, but I love my vacuum. <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of like the rest, um, I'm a diehard for, you know, just the the old school Andy clippers. Unfortunately, my farrier gets a little cranky this time of year because Berkeley gets these really bad leg mullets because he is, you know, half Clydesdale. Um, well, technically a fourth, but no one really knows. But anyway, um, so he gets really bad leg mullets and he's like, I can't even see your horse's feet. And I'm like, okay. So yeah, those are my go-to. Um, but I don't clip my horses um, since I live, you know, on a mountain. Um, so it's just the leg mullets that get done. My other go-tos, as expensive as it is, all of my horses have one because it was worth it. The Schneider's brand has a techno fleece and it's like one of the best, if not the best, waterproofed blanket that I've ever encountered. And it's like super great because it's not super thick. And it's like, you can put it on when it's going to be, you know, 25 in the morning, and then it's going to be 40 by the afternoon. And it's not, it's, you know, it's both breathable and something that's going to keep them warm and keep them dry. It's my diehard favorite blanket. So yeah, those are my go-to. I need to figure out something better for myself. Uh, I told <laughs> Justine before we started today that I'm already like getting the wintry hands and I'm chapping and cracking. So I haven't figured that out for myself. I've tried so many lotions, but if you have a trick, uh, feel free to post it in our podcast lounge <laughs> on Facebook for me. <laughs> what about you, Jess? So mine, um, I love the wall clippers, like the cordless ones. Like if we need to touch it up, we joke that that's the ones that Doug uses as well. Um, so I love the smaller clippers, whether it's the wall or the Andis to body clip them. So we keep ours religiously body clipped, like head to toe, everything is body clipped. So that makes it a lot 
easier. And the one thing that we do is we love necks on the, on their blankets. So it's really helpful. Like they don't grow like their lights, mediums and heavies all have necks. So Mm. it's so much nicer that like they're going and they, you know, I feel like even if it's like, they don't get as puffy, you know? So if their necks are exposed and all this, they like send a puff up and then I have to clip them more and everything else. So that's like our trick is that all of them have to have like necks for the whole season, because then I feel like we're having to do less work and clipping them. And, um, and when it's really cold, like I do love my quarter sheets and everything, but also like my fleece lined, like tight leggings. And I've used riding britches or just good old like fleece line, like legging leggings and wool socks. Those are like my have to, like I have thick ski socks and that's what I ride in. I like wool socks too. (laughs) It's like my favorite thing. Like I'll be like in the barn with tennis shoes, fleece leggings and like tall wool socks and then my tennis shoes. So like, that's what keeps, cause I feel like if my feet and my legs are a little warm then, and my fingers like that's it. And then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Yeah. I like, I like wool socks for me. It's like, I get to wear them on a really early horse show morning at rocking horse when it's like only cold for two hours. And then I'm sweating in them, like walking the cross country yeah. course. So <laughs> I don't ever <laughs> wear them for very long, but like for that really crisp morning, I will say I love the red and goat suits, like even the rain suit for me, cause that's the most lightweight one. You can layer underneath it, especially if it's like a cold horse show that's going to be rainy. Like we were at Grand yeah. Oaks in January and it was just, it was cold. Like it was miserable and it was wet the whole time. And I was so happy to have that to just stay warm with layers underneath and dry. And then I got a really fun, like ear warmer headband thing in like a equestrian, um, one of those like monthly subscription boxes like years ago. And I've always kept it in my tack trunk because when when you're cold in the morning, that thing, like it, when my head is cold, like even when I go skiing or something like that, then your whole body is cold. And that just keeps me just warm enough under my helmet where I'm like, Oh, this is lovely. Um, I love those things. But beyond that, I'm, you know, I mostly clip here in Florida just because it's not cold enough for them to sustain a winter coat that like my, my horse, the weather's been nice here now, but Next week, it could be 90 degrees again, and he'll, you know, he'll struggle to sweat with a winter coat. So I always clip. And with that, I like having one nice fleece cooler just because it's easier to cool them out when when it is actually cold. And I don't know that, you know, maybe my farrier's fix, you know, just to keep his hooves moisturized, but also protected. I feel like I go through a lot of that in the fall months and because it's our, it's like our one dry period of the year. And then I love fingerless gloves. Like I, I have like a pair from H and M that were like $2 at checkout. But so like my hands stay warm, but I can actually use my fingers, you know, like I can use my phone and, um, they're warm. Like, yeah. Like, and I can <laughs> ride, I can ride and like my hands, my, the palms of my hands feel warm, but I can still use my fingers, you know, on the reins, but that's, that's pretty much it. So a lot of the gloves nowadays, you can still use everything. Yeah, the fancier ones. I have a f- like I have a few pairs that are nice, but they're not like insulated warm, you know. So then we just got. I just tried a new pair, and they're kind of similar to uh, the Rokels, but they're called Crunkle gloves, and like um, they're like I'll have to send you guys a link. They feel like golf gloves. Like hmm. they're the nicer pair, and they're half the price. 
I'll have to send you the actual length for them because they are so comfortable. I haven't used them in the winter yet, but they they have a summer pair and a normal pair that I've used both. And I can literally touch all my um, Catherine at Echo Ride Safe. Like she had them and so I picked them up because I needed a new pair of gloves and they were like literally half the price of the Rokels. And I'm surprising because the normal ones still let me use my phone. Hmm. So I'll have what to text you what it about- is. One of my friends, um, you know, was like a dealer for that Gobi that does like heated vests and stuff. And I guess they have heated gloves. Oh. And heated socks. I've been tempted to try both. But then I see the price and I'm like, (laughs) never mind. Hand warmers are good. (laughs) Yeah, because Doug loves a heated vest. I haven't gotten on that, but Doug does love a good heated vest. Yeah, I don't have one, but I've definitely tempted about the gloves. The gloves would be the worst part. Alley. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You guys would be so <laughs> you guys talking about clipping my horses. I felt so bad for them today. I had to bring them in early because it got up to like 70 degrees and they were sweating because they're so fairy already. That's so funny. <laughs> Poor Berkeley. He was like, it's too hot. Like, okay, I'll bring you in and put your fan on. <laughs> Your horse has unique feed needs and Purina has you covered from breeding and growing to senior horse feeds from performance horses to easy keepers and everything in between. Purina has an extensive profile of research backed options for your horse. There's no shortcut for quality nutrition. Cheaper isn't cheaper. If it doesn't work, put their research to the test, find optimal nutrition at any level at your local Purina retailer or visit PurinaMills.com to learn more. All right, everybody. I'm really excited to introduce a guest this week. We have Dr. Kelly Vineyard, who is a senior nutritionist with Purina Animal Nutrition. She's been directly involved in the research and development for numerous Purina horse feeds, products, and supplements since 2008. And when she's not working with a horse feed, she is riding her Hanoverian gelding, and she's a USDF bronze and silver medalist in dressage. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi, good, Justine. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I, I'm so I've talked to I've talked to you before, and it's always such a fun and interesting conversation. And I think our listeners are going to get a ton out of our conversation today. Uh, well, I'm excited to talk to you because I listen to you guys on your podcast. So, oh yeah, a treat to be on the on the show. That's so awesome. That's hap- I'm really happy to hear it. Um, so since it's October and we're we're all edging into the beautiful fall season, we thought we would talk to you about just what what does it take and what should horse owners be preparing for um, as we edge closer to winter. So with that in mind, I wanted to ask, you know, what should horse owners be thinking about nutrition wise as we you know as we get closer to December, or January, and February? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that you need to be aware of kind of going into the changing seasons when it comes to nutrition. And the very biggest one is if your horse is on pasture, you know, especially during the warm season and, you know, going into the winter, he's going to be eating more hay and less pasture, just realizing that's a huge shift in the diet. So it, it's dramatic. Um, you know, they're going from forage that is grass, which is, you know, 80% or more water. And then, you know, this transition to hay, which is only 10% water, you know, that's a a big change um, in terms of moisture content that the horse is taking in every day. And it also can even be a change in the type of um, the variety. So like you might have one type of grass in your pasture, and then the hay you feed could be a completely different variety, 
which means, you know, it's different protein, you know, different carb levels, different fiber. So, you know, even though we may feed the same grain throughout the whole year, that shift from pasture to hay is a huge change for your horse. So just, you know, when horses lose weight in the winter, that's why, because you think I didn't change anything. Well, yes, a lot changed from pasture to hay is a huge change. Wow. So I'm thinking about, you know, obviously in Florida, this isn't something I deal with personally, but I'm thinking about Jess and Ellie who live in places where there are actual four seasons. In the fall, I've always heard, you know, from horse friends and other places that the the colder months have, you know, as the grass changes in the pasture, that changes. So if you have a metabolic horse, some, you know, some issues like that, you might be worried about founder this time of year. And can you tell me why, like what happens to the grass at this time of year before it really dies off in winter that um, maybe makes it a little bit more challenging for someone who has a, a horse with additional needs? Yeah. So, you know, I'm in Florida too. So we, we, the grasses that we have in the warm um, parts of the country are called warm season grasses. So in Florida, those would be like coastal Bermuda grass and Bahia grass. And those are considered C4 grasses. And you don't have to remember that, but that just means they're warm season grasses and they do not store carbohydrates as fructans. So warm season grasses don't store fructans cool season grasses. So those are the grasses that grow, you know, in the Northeast and pretty much the rest of the country, you know, brome grass, orchard grass, Timothy, those are all cool season. And they store their, some of their sugars as a sugar called fructan. Fructans are, can be a problem for horses that are prone to laminitis. So these grasses are storing fructans as an energy source during the day as the sun is up. So as the plant photosynthesizes, it's just building up fructans. And then as the sun goes down and it becomes dark, the plant sort of metabolizes its own little storage and then the sugars go back down. So really, if you're talking about a day-to-day basis, if you have a super sensitive horse and you're trying to time the grazing, it's probably ideal to uh, graze when it's dark. Basically when the, uh, pasture or the grass has metabolized all of its stored sugar. And, you know, ideally it'd be like midnight to 7am, but who's going to go let their horse out at midnight. (laughs) I've had people that set up automatic timers on their gates and that will do that. But wow, um, that is kind of, that's the theory behind it. So if you ever forget, like, when is it safe? Just remember like the photosynthesis is it's building up when the sun is out and then it's using up all those sugars at night when it's dark. So the later, the better. Um, the other time a, a grass will store these fructans and these sugars or w- is when it's stressed. And a major time of stress for pasture grass is when it frosts. So this time of year, you know, in the fall, it's starting to get cold. Um, if, and uh, after the first frost or, and after any time it frosts, that pasture just kind of is stressed. And stressed grass can be a very big trigger for founder and sens- or laminitis and sensitive horses. So if I had a sensitive horse, I might um, either put a muzzle on them if they were going out after a frost, or I might just try to keep them off pasture for several days after a frost, uh, even just to be safe. This makes me grateful that mine aren't sensitive. (laughs) My horses are actually on pasture uh, 24-7, and I live on a mountain in Pennsylvania. So frost is definitely a, a big thing for us. 
Um, but another thing that I'm always curious about is like, what's the best way to store your hay safely in the winter? Um, obviously, you know, I know there's concerns with, you know, opossums getting in and EPM concerns, but also just weather in general, what's the best way to store your hay? Yeah. I mean, I'm a big proponent of purchasing hay in large quantities as much as you can. And therefore you're going to need to store it, you know, properly to, to keep it, um, in good shape, but you know, a, a horse, and especially if you have a large barn with, with several horses, they can go through a lot of hay in a season. And, and the more hay you buy, number one, it's going to be the most cost effective because you can get a bulk discount, but also the nutritional content stays pretty consistent. So, you know, you can buy a couple tons of hay and you have a place to store it properly. Um, that's ideal. And the number one thing you want to keep hay safe from is the elements. So, you know, exposure to, to rain and moisture and sunlight will reduce nutrient content and digestibility. So, you know, ideally kept keeping undercover in some way, like a roof. And if, if you don't have a roof, a tarp to keep the moisture out. Um, and then number two, and this is like the golden rule of storing hay, never store it directly on the ground. I mean, yeah, if you're going to throw it on the ground for a day or two, that's not a problem. But for long term, you know, the ground is going to uh, leach moisture up into that bottom row of hay. So use pallets. Um, I've seen people use tires, railroad ties, old fence posts, just getting creative, but just to keep it off the ground, have some air circulation under there. And I guess speaking of air circulation, that's important too, especially if you're in a barn. So when you stack hay, leave, you know, a couple feet uh, at the top of your stack to allow for some air circulation above it too. Um, but the, the drier you can keep it and away from sunlight, you can keep it, the, the longer it's going to keep its nutrient content. That's definitely very helpful. We actually do our own hay here and I've got 1500 bales <laughs> in nice. our hay barn. Um, but yeah, I keep it all on pallets and <laughs> making sure that it's uh, nice and got a lot of airflow. But the other question I have um, is that I've got a couple of boarders that are senior horses um, and just more general you know, hard keepers that have definitely benefited from things like super sport and things to keep their weight on. But how should, you know, we horse owners or horse caretakers, um, other people's horses, <laughs> prepare to keep them healthy um, at a healthy weight during the winter time? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things because the winter time can be quite a challenge for senior horses, especially those that have poor teeth. Um, so maybe they're no longer able to chew hay like they used to be. And so since it's the winter and the pasture isn't as good, they're relying more on hay. So for those guys, and it's pretty easy. I mean, if you're getting your horse's teeth checked by your veterinarian at least once a year, you know, they can help, you know, when it's time, uh, when this becomes a concern, but you can also watch them eat hay. And if they're quitting their hay, that's a pretty good sign. They're not doing too well with their dentition, but those horses do need some type of hay replacer, a, a pelleted hay replacer, a complete feed, something like an equine senior that is, you know, pelleted. It's easy to digest. It's easy to chew because they're relying on the hay to get typically would be relying on hay to get most of their calories. But if they can't chew it, now you've got to substitute that with a complete feed or a pelleted hay replacer to get those fiber calories. And um, a lot of people don't realize that. And, 
you know, when you're, when your horse can't eat any hay and some of these 30 year old horses, you know, they lose their teeth and they aren't able to chew well, they may eat 15 pounds of a hay replacer per day because it has to replace all of that long stem hay. And so it is easy for these guys to drop weight if they can no longer eat hay. So I think that's the number one thing, but there's something else. And I don't know if this is, this is not really nutrition related, but in, in some ways it is. It's these senior horses or even hard keepers is keeping them warm um, with either blanketing if they need it or feeding more hay if they can chew it um, because hay digestion creates internal heat. And so when horses are, you know, thin or when they're older and it's harder to keep weight on that extra stress of temperature, low, low temperatures that creates, that requires calories to keep their body warm. So basically for every 10 degrees below like their minimum critical temperature, which is a little bit different for every horse, but it might be around say 30 degrees Fahrenheit. If they don't have a coat, you know, if they haven't developed their long coat yet, maybe it's a little colder than that if they have a big furry coat, but for every 10 degrees below that, they're going to require at least 15% more calories per day to keep themselves warm. So if you're not compensating and feeding them more calories, they're going to metabolize their own body fat and lose weight. So if you've got a skinny horse or a thin horse, like keep them warm <laughs> and that can help with their efficiency and not drop as much weight through the winter. That's super helpful. And are there any other kind of misconceptions about caring for horses this time of year you kind of like to clear up with everybody? Oh, um, <laughs> well, 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 speaking of blanketing, exactly. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, and this, this, you could probably do a whole podcast on to blanket or not to blanket, but a horse's thermoneutral zone is different than a human's. I mean, and, and, you know, if you're cold, that doesn't necessarily mean that your horse is cold. Um, that's not to say you should never blanket your horse, but you know, over blanketing can be just as big as a problem as, um, under blanketing for sure. Especially if horses are, you know, kept in a, a barn and, and not exposed to the elements. Um, but I think, nutrition related. Um, and hopefully people don't believe this anymore, but it still comes up every once in a while. So I have to say it is it's regarding corn and that corn is a heating feed and you need to feed corn in the winter to keep the horses warm. Um, no, <laughs> corn is not a heating feed. I mean, that's something our grandfathers would have said for sure. <laughs> hopefully people aren't saying that anymore. Um, but it's actually the opposite. Corn is very easy to, too easy to digest for horses. You can have some problems, but hay is a heating feed. So feed more hay to keep horses warm, not corn. All right, Dr. Vineyard, this was great. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to chat with us. Okay, well, thanks for having me. And our next guest this week is Amelia Newcomb. If you haven't heard of her, or you haven't seen her videos online, I don't know where you've been living because Amelia is everywhere, but Amelia is a USDF gold medalist. She's based in Somos, California, and she incorporates complete dressage training from starting young horses through the FEI levels in both her in-person and online programs. Uh, what I love about Amelia's instruction is it, there's really this strong message of dressage is for everybody. And it's, that is very evident in both the way she teaches in person and online coaching. Um, she has a very successful YouTube library with hundreds of free educational videos and over 70,000 subscribers and counting. 
Hi, Amelia. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you guys today. So thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So Amelia, I found you on the internet many years ago as somebody who felt very lucky to own a horse, but was, you know, pinching pennies to to own a horse as a young adult. And not old, I wasn't in an area where I could always afford a trainer or even was close to a trainer. Uh, and your videos really got me by at a, t- at a time where I just did not have the resources. And I was just so grateful for that online education that you offer. So my first question for you with that very long-winded explanation is you're such a natural instructor. Uh, when did you know you wanted to teach dressage? Well, it's it's funny that you say I'm natural because I definitely didn't feel natural at first. I think like anything that you're good at, it takes time to develop a skill. So a couple of things that really helped me to become a better teacher. One is that I've had some amazing teachers in my life that have helped me learn how to ride. Um, Sue Martin, Christine Traurig, Yo Hinneman. I've ridden with a lot of really great instructors and through their teachings, I have then been able to pass my learning on to my students. So that's part of what helped me become a really good teacher. The other side of that is when I first started out riding, I was not good. Like I was really not natural at all. I fell off so many times the first year that I was trying to learn how to ride that my riding instructor almost told my parents that I should quit. Like I was that Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so I think that I've had to really work hard to figure out, you know, what to do with my body in the saddle and how to develop my seat and develop my aids. And so because of that, then I've been able to pass that on to my students. So when I first started teaching, I remember feeling not very good and I wasn't sure what to tell these people to do to get better. But over the years doing it a lot, I've developed my eye and I've really been able to assess, you know, what's the most important thing that you need to fix first to help someone enjoy their ride and enjoy their horse a little better. Interesting. So what drew you to want to use YouTube or, you know, just a virtual method to connect with people and, and, and sort of explain dressage training? It feels like that YouTube platform really launched your educational side of your profession. Yeah, yeah, for sure. YouTube has, um, really is what started my online presence. At first, honestly, my brother, Joseph, he had a YouTube channel and he's like very artistic. Honestly, his videos are much more beautiful than mine, but he kept encouraging me like, you know, you need to do YouTube and get all these subscribers. And so it was kind of a contest with him a little bit at first. And when I first started making videos, it was kind of discouraging because I'd put all this time into making a video and maybe 50 people would watch it. But I just, I think one thing I learned from horses is that you just have to stay consistent. And so I said, okay, I'm just going to post a new video once a week. And here we are five years later, and I have like 70,000 subscribers. And it's been really fun, like you said, to reach people all over the world and to be able to help them with their horses. I mean, that to me is really exciting. And I just want to help people learn how to ride better. 
And I also want to help the horses because I know when I help the riders that I'm also helping the horses to have a better <laughs> life and feel more confident. Definitely. So I just recently did the 30 days to round challenge, which I know just ended and you have a variety of master classes um, where uh, you can elect to join and you get, not only do you get access to all this video instruction and a great like manual with a syllabus. Um, and then there's also a Facebook group component. So you're, you're meeting with other people. It's just packed so full of great tips. Like there's just so much to consume. It's, it's really been awesome. What made you want to want to take that next step with the, the tailored masterclass programs and what has that response been like? Yeah. So, you know, the YouTube videos are great. And I think one of my missions in my business is really dressage for all and making dressage accessible to as many people as possible all over the world. That said, with the YouTube videos, sometimes like I try to keep them really succinct, quick tips that someone could watch in five minutes and then be like, okay, I'm going to go practice that on my horse. With the paid programs and the master classes, I'm really able to give people a structure and a path. And that's so much about dressage is following a system and focusing on the basics so that then you can move up the levels and really make progress with your horse. So that's what is really cool about the master classes is I'm able to give people like step one, step two, step three, step four. And then in addition to that, through like Facebook lives, or we also in some of my programs, I do Zoom calls and people submit videos. And then we can actually watch the videos together on Zoom. And I can tell them exactly like, okay, there's your problem. You're sitting too forward. Your horse isn't round enough, whatever. So the the programs I'm able to connect more deeply with my students and work a little bit more one-on-one. And then also the community side of it is huge. And in the 30 Days to Round Challenge, the Facebook group is like honestly amazing. Everyone is so supportive of one another, so positive, so encouraging. And that's something that's really, really important to me is that I'm fostering a really positive and safe learning community because dressage is really hard and we're all struggling, whether you're riding Grand Prix or you're just, you know, trying to get your horse to go straight in around the arena. We're all focusing on the same stuff. And I really want to make myself approachable and make people feel safe to share about their struggles and also their successes. So you just said exactly what I feel every day when I have to do dressage, that dressage is hard. I mean, there's no way around it. It is. Uh, So I'd love for you to kind of tell everybody, how do you take all these complicated topics and you drill them down like so eloquently? What goes into your planning or different lessons for your channel or even your regular lessons? Like how, what kind of is your thought process to go, okay, look, let me take this complicated thing and make it, you know something I can do over, you know, your channels? Yeah, that's a good question. And, (laughs) you know, I think a lot of it boils down to the basics because dressage really is all about the basics. And if the basics are correct, then you're able to do the upper level movements, you know, like the Piaf and the Passage and the half passes and the flying changes and all those things that we see when we, watch dressage at the Olympics. So what are the basics? 
probably the most important basic is your rider position. And that's something that whether you're just starting out in dressage or maybe you're not even a dressage rider, you're just, you want to enjoy your horse and go on the trails or your jumper rider. So I focus a lot on rider position because that's something that everyone needs to work on. Even me, I ride Grand Prix, but I'm always working on improving my seat and my position so that I can communicate more effectively with my horse. So that's one thing that I always start with. The other thing is the dressage training scale, and that is basic. So the dressage training scale, you start with rhythm, suppleness, and connection. And those three things, if you have rhythm, suppleness, and connection, then you're much more able to communicate with your horse and then start to work on the upper level movement. So I really try to focus on the basics and then just break things down into like little bite-sized pieces where, you know, people can have a little win and get some more education. And then little by little, when you put all those pieces together over five years, then you start to build a relationship with your horse and you can move up the levels. I really like that. I've actually got two more like specific issues or um, techniques uh, that I'm curious to ask uh, your opinion about. So specifically, I know Justine and I have talked about this before. Any tips for sitting the trot? I know Justine has a big strided thoroughbred. And I do. I have some very short strided quarter horses that are ranchy that I'm like, they're really easy to sit to. <laughs> um, so I would love to hear your tips on how to sit the trot. Yeah, definitely. I think sitting trot is something that is easier than it looks. Like you, sometimes you'll see someone sitting the trot and you'll think, oh my gosh, they just look so perfect up there and they're not moving and it looks so easy. And so I think that's a little bit of a fallacy. Sitting trot is hard. It requires calories, basically, because you have to be following and absorbing the motion of your horse. So a couple of things that will help you with sitting trot. Number one is getting your horse round, because when your horse is round and moving forward and correctly using their back and their top line, their trot is actually going to be easier to sit. So that's one thing is try to do it at the end of your ride. Once your horse and yourself are warmed up and your horse is going a little bit rounder and your horse is moving more forward, that will help you with your sitting trot. The best way to kind of start introducing sitting trot is usually to do it from the walk. So you're walking, you pick up trot and just try sitting four or five steps and then go to posting trot and then just repeat that over and over again until you can sit for a little bit longer. It's tricky because you need to figure out how to absorb your horse's motion. But if you're bouncing around on your horse's back, that's really uncomfortable for your horse. And it's going to make your horse get tense and then drop their back. And then it's going to be even harder to sit the trot. The <laughs> other thing, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just laughing because I've been there, done that. <laughs> yep, yeah. yep. <laughs> I think we all have for sure. The other tip I have is that when you watch someone sitting the trot, it looks like they're sitting still. 
but this is actually the illusion of stillness because in order to sit the trot, you actually have to move a lot because you need to absorb all of the bounce in your horse's back. So I always say it's kind of like you've got to let your belly jiggle a little bit and your belt buckle has to move and your hips have to move. So you actually have to move a lot. You just have to move in the right way so that you're absorbing the bounce in your horse's back. Um, And then I'm a big fitness fan. So, you know, you've got to do your Pilates and your ab work and you have to be both flexible and strong in order to sit the trot. Yep. Got to get that core engaged. My beer belly is looking at me right now. (laughs) (laughs) So my other question for you, and I've, again, I've talked about Justine, we and I have talked about this, but I've noticed a lot too, especially um, with the horses I've started under saddle is like, how do you suggest, you know, the best ways to teach shoulder in and haunches in getting the you know, the front half and the back half to kind of disconnect from the rest, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that shoulder in and haunches in are difficult, um, both for the horse and for the rider. A lot of times, you know, we end up contorting ourselves and our horses get all stiff. So like I mentioned before, it's a lot about the basics. If you're having trouble with your shoulder in or your haunches in, go back to something a little bit more simple. So go back to your leg yields because leg yield is a suppleness exercise. So a lot of times if you can't get the shoulder in or if you can't get the haunches in, it's because your horse isn't listening when you put your leg on. So go back to your leg yields. Also, lots of voltes or 10-meter circles will help you with your shoulder in and haunches in because for shoulder in and haunches in, you need your horse bending in the body. When we talk about bend, we mean from the pull to the tail. We want our horse evenly bending, not just in the neck, but in their whole body. And so small circles are the best way to get your horse bending in the body And then you want to carry that bend into your shoulder in or into your haunches in. And when you are first introducing shoulder in or haunches in, things are going to fall apart. Your horse is going to come above the bit and drop their back, or they might get too slow and behind your leg, or you might lose the bend. And so whenever your basics fall apart, you have to, for a moment, you know, forget about the shoulder in ride forward, get your horse round, and then go back into the shoulder end. So that's my best advice is go back to your basics and, um, and then work up to the shoulder end or haunches in again. Awesome. Well, Amelia, this has been super great. It's been, uh, just a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really nice to, nice to hear from you guys and answer your questions. So if listeners want to learn more about you and your programs, where should they go? You can find me on my website. So amelianewcombdressage.com or on YouTube. If you just Google like on YouTube, my name, Amelia, and pretty much any dressage topic, whether it's flying changes or how to sit the trot or 
rider position, I'm sure that you will come up with a video there. We also have an amazing Facebook group called Amelia's Dressage Club, which is a great place to ask questions or share or just kind of see our community. Like I said, we have a lot of people on there that post questions or just little wins that they have, whether they've gone to a show or they've made some progress with their horse. So those are probably the best places to find me. All right, guys, it's time for Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. So my rose would be that we're coming up on my favorite, like, I love the fall and I love like Halloween. It's like my favorite season slash holiday because it's also my birthday month as well. So it's in a couple weeks. But so that would be definitely my rose is that I love the fall. I love like pumpkins and everything else. Like I can't wait to take the kids. Like I already like took them to the grocery store the other day and they like picked out pumpkins for the table, but I can't wait to like take them to the pumpkin patch and so we can go carving all that. Like I, that is definitely my rose this month is that this is my favorite season. So I'm going to enjoy that. My thorn is definitely that we're on week two of week four of four weeks total of us not going to be home. <laughs> like, so we are going to be home from last Tuesday or Wednesday when we left. We'll go home Sunday after Fairhill for 12 hours, maybe 24. And then we're gone till the 30th. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You guys in your road life. I know. And I'm, I mean, that should really be my thorn is that eventually like that's got to stop when my kids go to school next year. But <laughs> for right now, we'll just take it as like, you know, a different thorn. So um, no, it's just, I think it will be good and it's fun and it's, we're doing more of it than Fairhill. And then it just pushed us back that the last two weeks of try on were like back to back. So like we couldn't even take a break. So I feel like my thorn is more a wish me luck kind of thing, not really a thorn yet. So I'm hoping, you know, maybe I'll come back on the podcast and be my rose next time. Is that like I survived? <laughs> there you go. So it might, it might not be a thorn, but I'm just, I don't know. A month is a long ways when you have three different horse shows. So that's kind of just like my damper on me right now. Gotcha. I mean, I feel you. You guys are go, go, go all the time. Yeah. I feel like this is like an exception though. I like to be more, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about that joke for so long and I was like, I gotta say it. So good. Nailed it. Nailed it. So Ellie, why don't you go? I was going to say it's Ellie's turn because I'm not sure her rose can top off that because that was good. Um, well, my rose can top it because, um, I'm getting better every day. So I'm, I'm really excited that my body is, is starting to remember how to be a body. Um, (laughs) So right now there's still like an eight pound difference between my right hand and my left hand and I'm right-handed. Uh, so that's not fun, but luckily Batman's Western and he's the only one I really have to ride right now because he's in rehab. So it's all good. I only need one hand for that anyway, but yeah, my rose is that I'm, I'm getting better. Um, and I'm just excited to continue that and hopefully get back in the swing of real riding sometime soon. So hopefully, cause it's my favorite time to trail ride with all the leaves changing colors and no bugs. 
So I told Matt, I'm like, it's time to go for a trail ride. So that's my rose. My thorn is that on the counter side of it, it's starting to get to the point where I'm going to have to put hay out in the pastures (laughs) because the grass is going away. And it's really not that hard to just put hay out, but it's just like an extra five, 10 minutes. It's one extra thing. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and for me, like, you know, I, I steam my hay in the winter, so I'm just like not looking forward to having to do that. So that is my thorn is like now like winter stuff is going to start happening. I get that. Um, Yeah. What about you, Justine? Oh man, I guess I'll start with my thorn. This is the time of year. I don't know why, maybe because the election coming up, but like everything at work just gets insane, you know? And I feel like after the hurricane, which knock on wood, we're very lucky. Um, my part of Florida was mostly unscathed, but I just, I feel like emotionally, mentally, like just totally exhausted from that. Cause working at the newspaper, you know, there's a lot of coverage that goes into that. And it's just like, I see no break in sight before the end of the year. You know, we just jump from one major event to the next so that's my thorn is that I just don't want to work anymore. Um, I don't know who like, I just keep telling Alex, like you got to start making more money so I can just sit around and so ride horses all day. <laughs> <laughs> that's what needs to happen. <laughs> so, but I guess my rose is speaking of the hurricane that we were very lucky that um, this was a massive storm in a lot of people in Florida are still rebuilding and recovering. And it um, very easily could have been any other part of the state that, you know, could have seen that same level of destruction. And it's a sobering reminder of, you know, this is the the reality of living in Florida. It's not all ponies in the winter and beautiful weather and beaches that there is a real risk we take living here. So that is my rose is that my family You're and everybody's all good. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. But I have a mailbag for you guys, and I'm curious what you think. So uh, a member of our Facebook group posted this and is asking for advice. They are interested in what people do with their horses when they're estate planning. So this person has no idea what they would want to happen to their horses if something happened to them. So, Ellie, I'm sure you've thought of this. Maybe you've talked to your, you know, your family, your mom about it. But do you have a an idea? Because this person is struggling with the idea of their horses being sold off, but they don't really have anyone in their immediate circle that would make sense to leave their horses to. And God forbid a terrible situation. Do you, do you guys plan for this in any specific kind of way? Yeah. So, um, I mean, and especially, you know, just recently when I was all depressed about like, you know, being paralyzed, um, I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to ride my horses and that's not fair, you know, for them to like, you know, be ornaments. So in any case, my plan with them and like, I have like a living will, um, and each horse is kind of allotted to someone. So, you know, like I talked to the people that I bought Berkeley from 10 years ago. Um, and I'm like, do you want him back? You know, if something happens, you know, and I have a couple friends that have agreed that they would take different horses and Matt wants to keep a couple. Um, But obviously, if something happened to me where I couldn't do the horses anymore, I mean, seven horses is too many to take care of by yourself. (laughs) But so in addition to kind of having them 
like allotted, I guess, uh, to I call them their their uh, fairly odd parents because, <laughs> you know, that's I mean, they're kind of like, you know, um, step parents or, you know, I don't know what the term is when you have children that go to somewhere else. Um, they're like adoptees, whatever. I also have like a kind of fund for them, which, to be quite honest, is only like, you know, in my normal bank. So it sometimes is empty. <laughs> so like when Batman had his surgery, you know, his fund of, you know, four grand, if something were to happen to me to kind of help him get settled somewhere, you know, and pay for his basic vet farrier, things like that. Obviously that was used for his surgery, um, when my insurance didn't cover it. But, um, so that's kind of what I plan for. I mean, obviously in the big scheme of things that, you know, four grand really isn't enough to take care of a horse, especially one like Batman that's on, you know, Equiox and, you know, various types of supplements and things like that. But, um, that's, that's what I have done. And, yeah, it's definitely something that I don't think people think a lot about. Um, but I've done the same thing for my dogs and even my cats. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's the advice I can give is just to kind of have a ideal place. And even if that ideal place is um, a various type of rescues, you know, there are some cool like petting zoo type rescues that would take like an older horse or, you know, things like that. So just kind of do your research. Jess, do you have anything to add? I don't know how you guys plan with the horses. So, the yeah, like um, our will, obviously, like most of ours are owned in partnerships. And so in ours, it basically states that, you know, if something has happened to every one of them is different. But like, what if the agreements between Doug and Susie, you know, I'm just using the name, that basically if something was to happen to Susie, a lot of them are written up that it goes directly to her husband. And then same as like, if something was happened to Doug, it goes directly in my name. And then if something was to happen for ones that we partner in as well, they go straight hundred percent owned to the other part of the ownership and other ones. I mean, probably in our barn, we own two or three that are not in ours that are not owned by Doug or myself outright. Like that's all. I mean, we only own probably two or three outright together. So everything else is like drawn up in the agreement that it would go to that other owner. Gotcha. Interesting. And the other ones are babies that um, we have the two babies, the two and the three or the three and the four year old. And to be honest, like they're not written up in the will or anything, but all the other competition horses, everybody else has written up that it um, goes into the partnership of somebody else would have it. Gotcha. Or, or it goes into my name. If something has happened to Doug or if I'm in an ownership, it goes straight to Doug. But yeah, we've written it all up in the agreement when we first um, go into the agreement with the horse. That makes sense. So that we what talk about, about you, it Justine? Both parties. Yeah. What is yours? What is your deal with Mikey? I've actually done no estate planning. Maybe I should. So I just, I just assume, you know, like Alex would assume ownership or my, my parents, if something happened to both of us, but I should probably entrust them to go like work with this trainer, this person that I trust to find them the right home, you know? Yeah. Or find the right situation. Exactly. Oh yeah. My mom gets like three and she's like, She's like, what if I die before you? I was like, well, then you better leave money for them. 
<laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you were supposed to take care of them. <laughs> Especially Batman, because he's in love with her. But anyway. Aw. Well, if you have a question you want us to ask on or answer on the show, you can always send us an email. You can do that by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can ask it in our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. You can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. We want to say thank you to our partner this week, Purina. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.